Welcome back to part two of our conversation with Dr. Barbara Prilliman, telling us about her time in the Peace Corps. For more information from each episode, go to our website, thetimewin.net. Yeah. Was there anybody else in the village that, that spoke English? No. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was no one else, just me. And did you get like a, like, did you get paid? Like, I know you said before, like you would go down and like stay in the village. So did you get like, how did, what did you do for money while you were there? Yeah. So Peace Corps does pay you. They give you a, st a monthly stipend. So like, for example, the little uh, house, I'm going to say house where I lived, it costs $3 a month to rent. Wow. Right? So, so Peace Corps, according to where you were, so different countries, you know, we, we were in, I think it's over 70 countries or something, but uh, different countries, dip, volunteers would get different stipends per month. So I got a stipend and I want to say it might've been, it was probably around 70 or $80 a month. And it was, an, but it was plenty of money because remember some people are living on whole families, a dollar a day wow. in that area where I was living. So the first time that I got my money, I, it came to my market town, which was only about an, like the hour walk down the mountain and then 30 minutes of a drive. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was closer, but then people knew family members that knew other people. So I didn't want my money being sent there because I didn't want people to know that I got like $70 a month. Yeah. Right. Um, so um, instead I got it sent to where the post office box was. So that was part of the reason why I would have to travel there to get my money per month. Um, but then it also afforded me, like I, you know, I became friends with a lot of people in the town and some, there was this older woman, she was really sarcastic and funny, but people thought she was like a witch because like, they didn't get sarcasm, but I, like, I knew and I loved it. And, um, so she liked red cabbage and you couldn't really get red cabbage in our area, but where the post office box was, you could. So mm. it cost a little more, but that was something that I could do, right? So there were people that I would give things to like as gifts because they were giving me things like eggs and milk and mm -hmm. potatoes and, you know, items that were from their area. So I'm, I'm guessing, it's, you know, it's a really remote area where you were living that they didn't have, you know, TV or, or radio or, or anything like that. So what would you do for, for <laughs> now? Yeah, they didn't have any of that. I brought like a little teeny radio with me. And then when we had electricity, which was not 20, we did have electricity a few hours a day, usually maybe a wow. more, it just depended. Huh. Um, and, so um, I would play my music when, when that happened. Um, it took a lot longer to do things. Life took longer. So for example, I had to boil my water. You know, you couldn't just drink water from the, from, and I had a faucet outside. There was no indoor water, right? Wow. So I had a faucet outside and I would get my water in a big, like pot and then on my which would be considered sort of like a campfire stove like mm -hmm. i would boil my water and then i would sift it because it was uh, there was like 
particles of dirt and like depending if it had rained a lot there might be like little twigs and leaves and oh stuff. man yeah this thing i know <laughs> and then so my water was never clear right so yeah. it was never clear but it was clean because it was boiled mm-hmm. right um and then um so i would do that but then like cooking everything was from scratch so i learned how to make you know pizza literally from scratch right and um or soups and um all kinds of things it was colder where i lived Mm -hmm. which i had all the books i had read about ecuador return volunteers they had all been on the coastline because ecuador has the coast the andes mountains and then the amazon jungle Mm. and so i just assumed i was going to the coast and i had brought like all summer clothes i was you know (laughs) i had my whole outfit and then i got sent to the mountains which uh, was a, a much colder. So you could leave jello, jello out and it would, it would be firm mm-hmm. in a couple of hours. Like that's how cold it was there, wow. but there was no heat. Right. So, and then I had to wash my clothes on, a, on the rocks. You know, I had a rock outside my house. So you had to like lather up your clothes and then, you know, wash wow. it and hang them <laughs> up. So all of that took up time, which goes back to what you said. So that was some of what I did. I did do journaling. Mm -hmm. which has been the only time in my life that I've been pretty constant with journaling. And I think Mm -hmm. if I had advice for people that were going into the Peace Corps, I definitely would be certain that I journal and that I journal every day. The problem with my journaling was when I reflect on it and see it, because I still have it, Mm -hmm. um, that a lot of it I wrote about the like the hardships that I was facing and that not enough joys were in there. So I would follow like, you know, Oprah Winfrey, when she says, write down three, like three things you're thankful for a day. I wish mm-hmm. I would have also had that practice in mind when I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, because when I look at it, if you were to read it, if I were to give it to you, you would say, oh my God, how did you stay the two years? Why didn't you run, like, get out that's of there? What that's what I've been thinking with no water and had to sift, like, stuff through you. I'm like, how did you stay there? <laughs> I know, I, I stayed there because, like, and it reminds me of, at the beginning, I would make these big posters and every month it would have all my activities that I was doing with the community, like, what mm. I was trying to do. And so, and then it would say, like, you know, uh, 21 months left, you know? And so I'd be like, oh my God, can I wait 21 months? But then at the end, it was like, I only have a month left and it was heartbreaking. And, um, and I think it's because you, you, you slow down. It reminds mm-hmm. me of this time now. Like I, yeah. so it took me longer to do my laundry. It took me longer to cook some soup. It, those things took me longer, but then I was able to sit down and really just talk to people mm-hmm. and hear about their stories too, right? And to learn about their lives and to understand like some people here would go there and think, oh my gosh, my mother came and my mother was like, these people are so poor. This is so horrible. This life is, and I just kept looking around thinking like how much beauty there was here. Wow. And it reminds me of one of the guys that I became friendly with who on the godmother of his uh, daughter, his oldest daughter now, he said to me, we had walked up to the uh, Altiplano, like farther up into the mountains, and you could look down. And when you look down where my town was and the surrounding area, it was this patchwork 
quilt of these beautiful colors of like the, the land being used and not used and greens and browns and yellows. And, mm -hmm. and uh, he said, and I remember Jorge said to me, like, isn't it a shame that people can't see the beauty in their own land because they're so focused on just the work and the survival on a daily basis, you know, yeah. and it, just like, you're so right. Like, mm -hmm. let's take a moment and remember like what, what is here? What do we have? What's now? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So what was it like when you, when you returned to the United States, like a, like a culture shock? Oh my gosh. It was a disaster. <laughs> it was a complete disaster. When I came back, well, after my service, I traveled through South America for about three months with uh, two really good friends, Dan and Sharon. Mm -hmm. And um, which that I am thankful for that because I would say overall, like our group that I served with, are still extremely close 30 years later. We have reunions about every five years. We like, oh, wow. we've been doing Zoom calls. Like, people were connected still, which I'm, I'm extremely thankful for. Yeah, because uh, Francisco was also in the Peace Corps and in Ecuador, which is bizarre enough, but he was there 10 years prior to we were, because mm -hmm. he's older, obviously. Um, but his group is not like that. Or maybe wow. it's him. I don't know if it's him or the group, but. <laughs> I won't say anything else about that right now. Um, but so when I came back after the traveling, I went uh, to my mom's house to to live, to try to transition. She lived in Bear at the time and um, and it was not when it was well-developed. So mm -hmm. I, I didn't have a car, I didn't have a job. So at the very beginning, what I would do is basically I would lay around and cry <laughs> and I would make, I would make, um, homemade brownies every day, a batch of homemade brownies. I would eat the whole batch of brownies <laughs> while my mom was at work. And I would drink this huge pot of coffee. So you can envision how much caffeine I was like on edge the whole time. Um, and then for some reason, and this is my one of my all-time favorite stories, for some reason they thought it would be appropriate for me to take care of my three-year-old niece. Why is beyond me. And, I, and Holly, who is now a teacher, she's a teacher over at the Dickinson IB program. And I remember it was probably 1130 or noon and she was three years old and I was laying in bed because obviously I, the reverse culture shock, I was, I was deeply affected and I was, I was in like a mild state of depression, I would say. Wow. And I remember she came up to my face and she was like, Baba, let's play, let's play. And I remember I just said, Holly, I can't, I'm just so tired. <laughs> and she laid her little face, which was, she was the cutest little kid I've ever seen, but she laid her little face next to mine and she patted my head and she said, it's okay, Baba, I sleep, I sleep. And she laid her face next to mine and that was my moment. Wow. And, I, and I remember thinking, what the, like you have got to get yourself together because in no world should a three-year-old be consoling you, right? Yeah. You've got yeah. to get it together. And so that was my moment. Like she was my person. She was my moment in which I said, you got to get up. You got to start getting it together. You can't make your brownies, obviously. And you got to start walking and you got to figure out what's your next move. That, that's, that's really interesting. Like, you know, the thing, like you went from, 
you know, like not having running water to coming back to, I guess you could say like all these like luxuries and you like struggled with having all this, you know, like you would think you would be like happy, like to have it all back. Yeah. I think, but it wasn't really that, right? It was the human connection of, I was a part of that town. I had a purpose. I had friends. Mm -hmm. I had- you're missing you know, the people and- Yeah, the people, the sense of community. The mm -hmm. sense of community there really struck at the core of who I was. And I thought that it had something to do with religion because they had, they had the Catholic church there. So there'd be a priest. And I was mm -hmm. never, I did not grow up in a religious family so much. And, uh, so they a priest would drive in on a motorcycle on a weekly basis and give a mass and i loved the mass because the majority of a mass is the same so mm -hmm. i could get i could get the language except for the homily and that would change up um but then through the church there were there were celebrations and there were work that was done as groups of people like each family member would uh i'm sorry each family would send a member to do work in the name of and i just thought like it was a community so that was one of the things i did when i came back i went to um i went to the catholicism uh conversion uh course that they have to become catholic mm. and then i got near the end and then i realized that was not what i wanted to do because <laughs> a lot of the thought like i didn't i did mm. not believe some of the things that were at the core of what they wanted you to believe. So I thought it was inappropriate that I become Catholic. Um, but I missed the human connection. And when I came home, I came home in the dead of winter. Mm -hmm. And I also came home to, you know, my local friends, not my college friends, but my local friends from high school, most of them didn't go to college or a lot of them didn't. So they were getting married. They mm -hmm. had houses. They were having children. Right. I remember I went to like a I went to a baby shower and all I could think about was this one baby was getting all these items and all those items would have been enough for all the babies in my town. Right. Wow. And that was yeah. really like a hard uh thought process for me. And then there was someone from my high school who she had she was at the baby shower, she had two kids with her. And she said, well, what have you been doing? And I said, well, I, I went to college and I just got back from serving in the Peace Corps. And she goes, well, have you done anything else? <laughs> and I'm just like, because I didn't have a kid, right? And I didn't, yeah. I wasn't married. And I was like, nah, that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> I remember thinking I am so different right now from these people, you know, mm -hmm. that I do love, but I'm right. so different from them. So what advice would you give to someone who was thinking about joining the Peace Corps? I would say do it. That's the first thing. Like, don't even think twice. Mm -hmm. I would say it is the best thing that I have ever done in my life and will be the best thing that I've ever done. It changed the trajectory of my entire life, like who I would end up marrying, what, like, what my core beliefs would be, what my profession was going to be. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say don't even think twice do it and everyone that i've talked to thinks the same exact thing wow and so it's such a special group to belong to and then i would say i would definitely say journal and i would say force yourself to journal every day and i would say be open and flexible because nothing is what it is supposed to be like your whole belief system of what you believe to be is completely different and that's okay
I would say enjoy it. I would say, you know, I would say how immerse yourself in it because it's going to be, it's going to be the defining experience of a lifetime. Wow. Do you think there's something to like, like having less, like those people, like having less, I guess, material things, but still having, you know, like a great life or something? Do you think there's something to that? Yeah, I think that goes back to uh, that information about Happy. You should watch that documentary. It's called Happy. I think it's on Amazon and Netflix. Okay. It isn't, let me know, because I I have it. I have a hard copy of it. And uh, I use it in psych class. And it's about the scientific study of what makes people happy. Mm -hmm. And it's very different than what you think makes you happy, right? And the most of it has to do with that human connection. The idea of feeling like you are a part of, you know, whether it's a partnership, whether it's a community, whether it's a group, um, it's something that we need as human beings. And mm -hmm. I definitely think I didn't need any of those things, right? Mm -hmm. I, I was perfectly fine without any of those things. Is it nice to have a great shower? Because I didn't have a shower, right? I had to boil water and then like wipe myself yeah, yeah. basically right and everyone in the town knew you were going to take a shower because you had to go and get the water and they all knew it was like you're washing your hair outside um but i think like those things aren't really the important things hmm. right wow. the the so i still have the connection with the people from my group which we still see each other on a regular basis here whether it's you know small pods of us or larger group of us mm -hmm. and um and then we also and i'm still in contact with people from from ecuador now because of social wow. media like little kids that were in my kid group yeah like five years old that i taught mm -hmm. like they're 30 now and and they found me on facebook and they put up these photos of us from like 25 30 years ago wow um, so I had hoped that this summer I would go back when, you know, with that Fulbright being in Colombia, that I'd go back to Ecuador too. But, uh, you know, travel's a little different now. So I'm going to have to hold out on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. This is very interesting and entertaining to hear. <laughs> oh, I've got a million. I'm going to hold back on some of the other stories regarding worms and parasites <laughs> and all kinds of other good things. <laughs> Well, I, I thank you a lot for coming on the show and uh, sharing you, your experience with the with the Peace Corps. And we'll have you on the show again sometime to talk about your your education or your your teaching career. That sounds great. I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> All right. I'll All talk right. to you soon. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this two part series on Dr. Barbara Prilliman's time in the Peace Corps. For more information from each episode, go to our website, thetimewin.net. And remember, everyone has a story.